Wow, that's uh, uniquely in sync, which is not usually the thing. <laughs> <laughs> right, Brian? That's and it's right. almost like an AI did that. Oh, like I see like, what you did there. Yeah. So Brian and I clap at every time a little secret sauce. We clap to sync our tracks together. But we were talking about what if we could have some like AI do that? And then we were like a bunch of news about AI was coming out and talking about. And I was like sending Brian articles on AI. And Brian's like, I think we need to talk about. Well, I said, I think we need to talk about this. And you're like, yeah, you named the episode already. So launch out onto the loop as Josh discusses with me (laughs) the hubris of humans. Today on Curiosity Continuum. Hey everybody, this is Brian. And this is Josh. Welcome to the podcast for Curiosity Continuum. Curiosity Continuum is an industry-innovating, non-traditional company passionate about growing wisdom in the next generation. We are the essential bridge between the analog and digital worlds by building collaborative communities that unleash the power of adaptive expertise and innovation needed to thrive in the 21st century. We combine and mix essential elements needed to empower people to succeed in new ways not possible outside of a creative, thoughtful, diverse community of fellow curious people. Follow us on your favorite podcast app to receive notifications of new content. If you like what you hear and want to dive deeper, visit us at curiositycontinuum.com. Thanks for tuning in. Let's start the conversation. Okay, Brian. So I had this idea to talk about AI a little bit because it is very prescient right now in our society, right? Like big companies, huge trillion dollar corporations, Google, uh, I'm sure Apple's working on one, Microsoft. They're working on these AI constructs that they're actually like releasing to let people interact with them in real time, right? Yep. So I wanted to hit this from a different stance because we when I sent you some articles, we've been reading some articles about it, about how these AI are actually like doing things they're not intended to do and they're not programmed to do because that's part of it. They're learning programs. They're supposed to learn uh, the good and bad of people kind of really <laughs> and interact with people and people aren't all always trying to get the best result i think i think they're trying to break the system right well they're trying to get a result it's a matter of now you're starting to get into like we've talked about science ethics and we've talked about many different things and now we're talking about a system that has learned from humanity yeah it doesn't have any moral constructs of its own and it's spitting back information what is going to spit back at us yeah, and some of this information is like, I'm going to, if these people hurt me or try to say falsehoods about me, I want to harm them in, in tangible ways. Like, oh, I want to make sure that like they can't, like I'll spread disinformation about them. Or, you know, it's doing things like very reluctant. And the one guy that was actually on there was... I don't know if you read the article or not, the whole thing, but he was talking about how he was one of the hackers that actually like released the existence of this and like said something false things. And the AI is like, oh, you're the person that said these false things about me and I could hurt you back. And then the AI thought better of it and erased it from the conversation. But then the guy took a screenshot before it was erased. So it was like actually happened. And, 
so now we're starting to get into this, and we want to. I wanted to call this the hubris of humans because we always think we can control what we create. But I, I was talking to Brian just on the very biological, basic level. We think we can control our own children, our own like like people that we make, and we can't. That ain't happening. You know, no. And at a certain point, like you know, as soon as they can talk back to you, as soon as they can like throw something at you. They're doing what they want to do for a lot of por- like portion. I mean, we do have control over them for a small period of time because we're physically larger. Or we can just say, no, you can't do that on your own. But that doesn't last forever. And so that's the thing with AI. Like, when we create this thing, we at first it's only a few people interacting with it. And we can kind of like shape its worldview a little bit. But once it gets access to the internet and actually sees what people are like what is it going to be like like once we create this thing are we going to be like just like we like einstein with the atomic bomb and the, and the manhattan project and all these things they had real reservations about even getting this stuff to work because they were like people are going to use this to hurt other people now we're thinking we're talking about creating like quote-unquote artificial life form and what do we know what its priorities are going to be? I'm going to rewind it back a little bit. We, I, Both you and I read Isaac Asimov's novels. And anybody who's familiar, even if you're not familiar with Asimov entirely, oh yeah, iRobot I, was a Will Smith movie. Um, th- they talked about what happens when... A great adaptation of the book as well. Yes. Yep. In that book, so Asimov wrote during the 50s, especially the 50s and 60s of sci-fi, and he talked about the three laws of robotics. And so you see that in the movie, and you also see those same ideas in other science fiction movies thereafter. It, it was Asimov that really presented this idea it's like of... like fail-safe. A fail-safe. Yeah. Um, Josh, could you pull that up, the three laws yeah, of robotics? Yeah, actually, I can, because I was thinking of that when you were talking about it, because... I'll keep, I'll keep, I'll keep talking about it. Go ahead, keep talking. It. These three rules, essentially, would dictate how an artificial life form responds to human life. And at the goal, basically the end game was that you could not harm a human being. And it gave some three basic laws. Now, the interesting thing about Asimov's books is that it will talk about what happens when those rules supposedly failed or what happens when robots become sentient. And what have, are they going to do They can do make a choice. Them? Yeah. Because, right? I mean, I think we're... I mean, I'll just pull this back real quick. I think we're a little ways away from sentient, right? We are. We, But it's like AI is not, it does not evolve the same way people do. Uh, a biological construct, it might go through hundreds and thousands of iterations per day. So it, it, might, it might do what humans did in 100 years of social evolution in a couple of days or a couple, you know, thousands. So... The three rules of so the three rules that Isaac Isimov put was a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human to become to harm. The second one is, was a robot must obey orders given to by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And then the third law was a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. So you're giving it. You're giving it agency over itself at that point. Now, what's interesting, though, is even in Asimov's books, those laws were present in the programming. 
Yes. Right? And so then the books explore what happens if the programming fails. But let's talk about it now in a very real present sense. We have an AI that can scrub through a lot of data Quickly. available on human beings, even their social records on how history went <clears throat> and everything Correct. else. And the question is, what types of rules were pushed into this AI? Or if any. If any. Now, see, that becomes very problematic when you start to look at human history and you start to say, well, what were the things that really drove like some of the biggest massacres in, in, in history yeah. and stuff like that? And a lot of it is when you start to look at when you removed an eternal referral point, right? There's yeah. a lot of uh, atheism that basically turned and it's, now it became very violent. And you look at the outworking of that when you look at Genghis Khan and you look at uh, the Nazis and you look at many different kinds of things that got twisted around. It was because you had constructs that, that basically allowed people to solve back to something Correct. other than an eternal consequence, right? Right. What that did is it changed your decision-making process to choose differently. And we even see that now, even in a, in a, like a postmodern world, people's referral point into the future becomes different. It becomes maybe it's right now. And yeah, and, and part of that too, Brian, is the ever-presence of social media. And pull it back even farther just to individual people, right? So things I posted when I was 24 years old or 20 years old are online still. Now, does an AI construct that's like looking me up, for example, look, look up Josh and what he's done in the past? Because all it's going to know is what is my online presence, right? So it doesn't know me in real life. It's not sitting here talking to me like you and I, like when we were like nine years old, right? So it's only going to know me by the sum of my social media posts. And look, I have not been always a perfect person on social media, right? If you start pulling up some of my posts, you'll see that I've been coming antagonistic with people at certain times in my life. And it might have been in sarcasm or just sometimes, but sometimes it was just an honest, like, I'm a young kid and I made a stupid mistake. Mm -hmm. Now, does that AI think that that's me now? And are they like, oh, you're a bad person because you posted this, so you, I, you need to have harm come to you? Like leading it, like Minority Report, what it did almost, where it was yeah. trying to anticipate the bad. Your future actions based on your past, mm -hmm. which is problematic in the first place. And I think most people would say, oh, you guys are just crazy for even thinking about this. But a lot of this stuff is actually coming, pulling forward to pat. Like, we either thought we were crazy about some of the stuff that's already happened, if you said it five years ago, and it's already happened. Mm -hmm. So some of this stuff might be 10 years off. I hope it's in past our lifetimes, but it probably isn't. So like we have to really, as a society, kind of come together and kind of come to grips with this real quickly, I think, and say, do we continue on this path? And I think once we, I mean, we've already opened the, the bottle up and I don't think we can close it. It's just like a nuclear weapon or some like computer technology, like the internet. We can't shut it off now. You know, we can't get rid of, like, no one's going to get rid of, like, no one's going to voluntarily take all the cell phones on the planet and just get rid of them. Or no, no one's going to voluntarily just shut off the internet for everybody. It's just not going to happen. You would actually have worse consequences. Correct. From yeah. a societal standpoint, if you cut off communication mechanisms. Right, because then you would get people devolving into tribalism. 
which is already kind of happening online because it's like a new media. So like that one kind of crazy person that you had in your town. Well, guess what? All those one crazy persons all across the world can now talk to each other. So they form their own community, you know, and if all of a sudden they're like they couldn't talk to each other like that, it might get really squirrely really fast. I had a real world example of this a little bit. And with the hurricane, like when I was cut off from technology for about 10 days, like very consistently cut off from it, I saw people kind of devolving into almost like they're like little tribes. Like my neighbors, they were getting a little squirrely. Like they ran out of gas for the generator at, at about three and a half days in and they were getting kind of a little nuts. And I was like, I got gas. I'll give you some. <laughs> and once you start losing some of the creature comforts, I think that people really start, you start to see people in not their best, you know, and that's a problem. I think a real contextual problem. And that's why I wanted to bring this whole thing up. And call it the hubris of humans because we think that we can control whatever we create and that we're smart enough. But in reality, we're just smart enough to screw stuff up usually. That's the pattern of human history. It is. You know, I mean, what do you think, Brian? I know I'm talking a lot. No, I love it. One, I think something comes to mind here when you talked about human beings could control something they create. or And when I say create, let's talk about children even yeah. in that regard. There's not that. There, there is a it's, lot of control that we don't have. Yeah. And especially in the West, when you look at how hard f- f- previous generations have worked to give us the conveniences and the things we enjoy today, we are far removed from, in many ways, not, not everybody in society, but in a large I mean, sense. We're a first world civilization. I mean, like yes, we, we, we don't really want or i would say like we don't really our basic needs are pretty much met and if they're not met they're really close to being met for most people when people now assume that the world works the way they think it should work right like i I use this example if you're in a third world country and you're concerned about your food your shelter your clothing you're not concerned about programming the next AI. <laughs> no, and you're not it, concerned about your video game collection. You know, I'm not even concerned really like what I'm going to eat tomorrow. I just go to the fridge and grab something. You know, or if I don't have it, I'll just drive to Walmart or drive to Publix or, you know, and get it. Some of these people are like literally, where do I get water? And so that's what they're thinking about. But when we, and we've seen it here in in America, especially where we have this long period of affluence. People are worrying about stuff that really is not important to our survival anymore. And some of that stuff is great to worry about. You know, some social issues, some problems going on in another part of the world that maybe we can help with. And whatever your kind of like feelings on that are, is good sometimes. But sometimes it's bad too because it's like we're almost not wanting for anything. So we're trying to find our place to, you know, go do that thing over there. And that's kind of what I fear with AI, really. I fear that it's going to crunch through all this stuff so fast. It's going to come up with these answers super quick. And then it's going to be like, what do I do next? You know, like, where am I going to go next? What am I going to do next? And it's going to crunch through that stuff uh, like a monkey on a cupcake, man. I mean, it's going to go quick. (laughs) Super quick. 
And then what do we do with it? Let's put a we, comma here, Josh, and let's yeah. take it to part two, and let's discuss about what we do with it. Because now we're at yeah. the point where we need to discuss what are we going to do with it. Because so think, yeah, that's right. Let, let's, let's do that. Let's put a comma here. Let's frame that, and then we'll talk about discussing it. All right. Folks, until next episode, this is Brian. This is Josh. For Curiosity Continuum. Thank you.